Hello everybody, this is our third sermon looking at the mission of Jesus. We're reading through Matthew chapters 8 to 10 together. Today we are at the passage that begins at verse 23 of Matthew 8 and reading through to verse 8 of chapter 9. And the topic this week is overcoming opponents. I want to begin by asking us all a question. What makes us afraid? But perhaps more than that, what is it that we live in fear of? As many of you know, I am afraid of flying. It is a phobia I've always had. I tried it once and never want to do it again. But I don't live in fear of flying. It never crosses my mind from day to day. As an anxious person, what I really live in fear of is not being good enough not doing or saying the right thing, letting people down or being found out. Having done the counselling, I know this is a product of being bullied at school. But what about you? What is it that sits there chipping away at your confidence? What lingering worries do you carry? What do you live in fear of? The answer, of course, will be different for each and every one of us. But I think... Uh, you could probably classify our deepest fears into one of three categories. Some of us live in fear of chaotic events and crises. Those big events that we have no control over whatsoever, but can cause a rapid change in our circumstances. These would include natural disasters, climate change, a major accident, or of course a worldwide pandemic and illness. Some of us live in fear of evil, and by that I mean bad things being actively done against us. I've not lived in London for two and a half years now, but I still instinctively want to lock everything. The house, the car, my bike to a tree. In the city, many people live in fear of crime. Perhaps now that crime is more sophisticated and digital, some people in Isla fear this now as well. I would also include the bullying or abusive behaviour of others in this category. Finally, some of us are like me and live in fear of being found out. We carry regrets or shame, maybe we feel insignificant or guilty, and we worry that people will see through us and realise just how weak we are. Have a think. I reckon most of our fears will fit into one of those three categories. Which one do you recognise? Well, here is the good news. In our reading today, we're going to discover that Jesus has power over all these things. He is bigger and stronger than our greatest worries. And the message we are to take away from that discovery is that if we fear Jesus, we have nothing else to fear. I don't know about you, But this is a message I really need to hear. On Sunday evenings, we are reading through the account of Jesus' ministry on earth, as recorded in Matthew 8 to 10. For each passage, we're asking ourselves three simple questions. Who is Jesus in this passage? What is revealed about his character? What is Jesus' mission? What did he come to earth to achieve? And what is he still working on now by the power of the Spirit? And finally, the important third question, how is it that we are to respond? What difference should the discovery about who Jesus is and what he is about make to my life? How can we as Christians join in with his mission today? 
In our passage this evening, we will read three separate short stories. We will think about each one in turn before asking our three big questions at the end to form a conclusion. But as already said, this passage as a whole is all about Jesus' power to overcome our opponents, those things we live in fear of. So let's turn to short story number one, Matthew eight twenty three to 27 Jesus' calming of the storm. In this miracle, we see his power over the forces of nature. Many of us have known this story since we were children. But to fully appreciate it, we need to know something that is not immediately obvious in the text. The Jews lived in fear of the sea. In fact, this fear went to such lengths the sea took on almost mythic proportions. To the Jews, the sea represented chaos, that natural force that can disrupt and disorder our lives and that we have no control over at all. As we are still living through this pandemic today, to a certain extent, we are finding that we live at the mercy of chaotic events and crises. When you think about it, this does make sense. The sea is constantly moving. It never settles. It's unpredictable, inherently dangerous, and who knows what monsters live below the surface of the deep ready to swallow you whole. In this story, you see the chaotic power of nature right at the fore. The storm was so furious, even experienced fishermen were terrified by it. After wrestling with all their might to keep the boat afloat, they turned to Jesus in utter panic. Of course, it's at this moment that the stunning miracle occurs. Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind and the waves go completely calm. I love that the text says completely calm in verse 26. As if it's not enough for Jesus to answer the disciples' urgent prayers by quietening the storm. Rather, he goes a step further and brings a moment of peace and beauty out of it. This complete calm is not just the absence of chaos, it is its removal and something wholly good put in its place. It's because of this that the disciples let out their startled question in verse 27. What kind of man is this? For already they're beginning to cotton on to what this miracle means. Only one person had ever spoken into chaos and brought beauty and order out of it, and that was Almighty God in the act of creating the world. Could Jesus really be God? Could he really be the Lord of all creation? The signs were starting to point that way. One thing was for sure, there was no power they could come up against that Jesus did not seem to have some sort of control over. Yes, the disciples had been afraid, really afraid, but faith was slowly starting to take fear's place in their hearts. Before we move on, I just want to point out two little things that we often miss when reading this story. First of all, the disciples were in that boat on the lake because they had chosen to be obedient to Jesus. Unlike the potential disciple we met last week who backed out making excuses, verse 23 tells us that these had chosen to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. What that means is that sometimes bad things do happen to good people. We live in a broken world where chaos reigns at times and not every storm that comes our way is a direct punishment for some bad behaviour. Sometimes God allows us to go into these storms for he knows within them he will have the opportunity to reveal himself and to teach us a lesson that will strengthen us in the long run. 
Maybe that's true of this pandemic. Second, notice that Jesus chided the disciples for their lack of faith while the storm was still raging, not after he had calmed it down. There is a challenge to us here to have faith in the midst of the crisis, not just when it has passed. How do we keep the faith when the world seems to be in chaos? We focus on the fact that Jesus is still present in our boat with us. We should look to him, not just at the waves. Perhaps in this pandemic, that means spending more time in prayer, Bible study and worship than watching the news. So then, short story number one tells us that Jesus has the power over the chaotic forces of nature. That was true then and it's true now. Let us take heart and not live in fear of these things. Short story number two moves on from there and tells us that Jesus also has power over evil. This is Matthew 8, 28 to 34 and involves the restoration of two demon possessed men. The Bible regularly tells us that there is a battle between good and evil in the world. But despite our familiarity with that language, it can still be difficult for us to describe the reality of evil today. What does evil look like? What does it do? In the opening verse of this story, we get a few clues. The story begins with some marks of division. Verse 28 tells us that the events take place on the other side of the lake, or the far side, if you like. This is the region of the Gadarenes, a Gentile or non-Jewish area. This explains why some of the town make their living farming pigs, an animal that is unclean to Jews. So then already we have some marks of division. The near and far side of the lake, Jews and non-Jews, clean and unclean. Now, this is not to say that there is no evil in Israel, far from it. But one of the outworkings of evil is the erection of barriers and boundaries that pull humanity apart. The next clue we get as to the reality of evil is the presence of death. Where is it that these two demon-possessed men live? It is among the tombs. Verse 28 implies that these poor men have been eaten up by dark forces, driven berserk and ushered towards death. We should be in no doubt evil seeks to kill and destroy, to end life, or at least to damage and distort it out of all recognition. The final clue we get as to the work of evil comes with the mention of violence. These men were so violent, the townspeople lived in fear of them and kept well out of their way. Whenever we see violence and fear in the world, we know evil is at work. But the good news is that the Bible tells us that God is at work in the world to defeat evil and bring the opposite of these things. God has made the way to replace division with unity. God has made the way to replace death with eternal life. God promises that one day violence will be no more and all will be at peace. What is interesting about this story is that even evil itself recognises that. The demons inside the men recognised who Jesus was and they themselves feared the Son of God. Again, in what follows, we see the great power of Jesus. He has such power he can drive the demons out just by speaking one word. Go! At that, these unclean spirits appropriately transfer into ceremonially unclean animals and the two men are left fully restored. We are to understand from this that Jesus has authority 
over the hosts of darkness. Yes, we are to be aware of the reality of evil in the world, but we are not to live in fear of it, for God's light can always overcome it. If you are one of those people who do live in fear of bad things happening to you, it is good to take sensible precautions, but don't become obsessed with bolts and locks. Our true protection is in the Lord, not these earthly means of defence. So Jesus has power over the chaotic forces of nature and he has power over evil. This then brings us to short story number three. In Matthew 9, 1-8, we learn that Jesus also has power over sin. Again, this is another very well-known story from the Bible. But have you ever wondered why? When the men bring the paralysed man to Jesus, Jesus speaks of forgiveness rather than healing. The key words come in verse 2. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. If you have never puzzled over that, I'm sure this man's friends did. They had just exhausted themselves carrying him to Jesus. First and foremost, they wanted healing. In their minds, Jesus could deal with sin in his own time later on. They wouldn't be breaking their backs carrying the man then. But Jesus here explicitly states that in his eyes, sin and sickness are related. If we take the time to step back for a moment, we can begin to recognise how true this is. Guilt and regret really can eat us up inside. A gnawing sense of shame inside us can stop us doing things and make us close down. At times we lose sleep, we stop eating, we start to shrivel up. A psychologist would explain this better than me. But what is going on here with Jesus is symptomatic of something much greater. The Bible tells us that it was the entrance of sin into the world that brought about corruption, paralysis and death in the first place. And the only way of reversing the worldwide phenomena of decay is to have the sin problem corrected. As a sign of this, in the Old Testament, God repeatedly promised to bring healing to Israel if only they would repent of their sin and seek forgiveness. Now, we need to be a little careful here. This does not mean that individual sin is always the direct cause of someone's sickness. The book of Job and the interaction of Jesus with the blind man in John 9 guard us against making that over-hasty conclusion. But the reality is that at the heart of humanity's problems is the problem of the human heart, and that is that it is infected with the virus of sin. So every time we see Jesus healing the gospel, we need to understand it as a confirmation of his authority to heal our greatest wound, which is sin. And of course, the Bible promises that once sin is forgiven and full redemption has occurred, all sickness and death will ultimately be abolished. Getting back now to the story, we see that when Jesus made this claim to forgive the man's sins, the crowds present instantly understood what he was implying. In that moment, Jesus was claiming to be God, for only God has the power to deal with sin. So understandably, the teachers of the law are upset. A man claiming to be God in any other situation is blasphemy, and they're right to point it out. But Jesus then turns to them and says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? It is a rhetorical question which assumes that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way of confirming that. 
where it's, it's immediately obvious whether a once paralysed man can now walk or not. Following that question, Jesus uses his authority as the son of man to defeat evil and forgive this man's sin. The man then walks as a sign that his forgiveness really has been granted. As a result, verse 8 tells us that the crowds were left in awe. Awe is more than just amazement. It is amazement with a little fear sprinkled in. They do not understand everything yet. They couldn't possibly do that. But they are now aware that in Jesus something incredible was happening. The kingdom of God was invading the world. A new era was dawning. And all this was heralded by Jesus' power to forgive sin. For those of you who, like me, live in fear of being found out, we need to take real note of this story. Jesus already knows everything about us. There's nothing left for him to find out. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our shame and regrets. He knows all our insecurities. And yet still he loves us and still he offers us the remedy. It begins with the forgiveness of sin and a clear conscience, and goes on from there to the full healing of body, mind and soul. Let our fear be replaced by this faith. So there we have it. We've reached the end of the three short stories that make up this one section in Matthew's Gospel. We're now ready to ask the key questions of our series. Who is Jesus? He is the Lord of all creation. He is the Son of God. He is the eternally reigning Son of Man. Take your pick of titles. But all of these mean that Jesus has power over the forces that bind us up in fear and anxiety. What is Jesus' mission? He's working to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. He's defeating evil and reversing its effects. He's forgiving all our sin, healing the great brokenness of humanity in the process. And how should we respond? Well, first of all, let us recognise that this passage shows us how not to respond. The people of the Gadarenes asked Jesus to leave their area because of their own financial loss. They were seemingly more concerned about their pigs than the troubled men. And the teachers of the law were more concerned with their own rules and losing their positions of importance amongst the Jewish establishment than recognising what Jesus was really up to. Consequently, as they saw these signs of power, they experienced them as a threat rather than a blessing. They were just too inward looking. So opposed to these bad examples, the right response to who Jesus is and what he's at work doing is found in our final verse. The right response is awe. Amazement that God should use his incredible power on our behalf with a little healthy fear mixed in. Truly, if we learn to fear God, we will start to find that we have nothing else to fear. That process takes time. I can testify to that. But it is true. It works. As disciples of Jesus, we are then to try and trust him in every situation that we find ourselves in. And where possible, we're to bring our friends along to meet Jesus too, just as those men did with the paralysed man. May this reading then be a great encouragement to us all as we go out into the week and start to face our fears.